sometimes the way you look affects how you feel. And I've proven so many times by changing the way somebody looks drastically affects the way they feel to a positive way, to a, to a way that they never experienced. I've had women cry. I've had women go into a job interview and get the job that they've been looking for ever and never really pinned it down just because they feel empowered because of the haircut. So it's easy to say, you know, oh, every woman should be beautiful and they should feel beautiful with what they have. Forget about their haircut, forget about makeup, forget about whether they're skinny, tall, short, fat, whatever. It doesn't matter. But that's the state of mind. And you know what? It's very easy to say. But when you've grown up or been carrying baggage around with you for years, that's part of our life story. We just have to deal with it ourselves in our own way and do the best you can. And that's Kim Robinson, and you're listening to The Interested Podcast. I'm your host, Donna Edda. Interested is a result of my curiosity to explore more on our collective wellness wisdom. And that goes from physical to cognitive to emotional health to spirituality. This podcast is my attempt to bring nourishing conversations to help you live a higher quality, more fulfilling life. This week's guest takes on a divergent path from what I've always believed, that beauty first and foremost emanates from within. I met celebrity hairstylist Kim Robinson at a friend's lunch recently, and our conversation on beauty made me wonder, what if the way we look shapes our self-belief? Can a bad haircut hold us back? What happens when our exterior appearance is not aligned with our true self? In this conversation, Kim walks me through his journey of beauty from starting out in Western Australia to becoming a household name throughout Asia. He shares some of the most important lessons he's learned along the way, how he handles the ups and downs, his definition of beauty, and how his recent health scare has helped him refocus his priorities. So without further ado, I'm excited to bring you Kim Robinson. I speak with women all the time, obviously, and I do often do women's groups talks and sharing of tips, etc. And I notice that a lot of women don't feel confident. They always put themselves down. They always don't um, put themselves out in front and, and are shy about their own persona. And I think it's sad because I think that every woman... Uh, has the right to be heard and to, to speak her mind. And a lot of women just don't feel confidence. And I, I believe it's all because they don't feel beautiful. When a woman feels beautiful, she's, she owns the street. She walks into the room and she feels everyone's turning and looking at her because she she has a presence. She She's not a nobody, she's a somebody, you know, and and I find majority of women, they think they're not worth it, they've got other priorities in their life, like their kids, their husband, their career, and they put themselves on sale. They really don't think they have enough time for themselves, and they don't do me time, and they don't reinvest in themselves, and especially women after a certain age who, who've gone through perhaps relationships and different periods of their life, for example, they have let themselves go at a certain age. And and I help women all the time um, get confidence through beauty. You know, it's and, and it's a form of empowerment. And I think that once you've achieved that and you've, you feel it, it's, pr- it's priceless. No amount of money you can put on feeling 
feeling empowered, you know. You get to a certain age, and I know it because I'm, I'm not young anymore, but how much I, better I feel when I've got the right haircut or when I've got the right image. I feel, feel powerful. What are some things that women can do to reinvest in themselves? Well, I always say, obviously, I mean, I'm in the hairdressing business, so I would say get a great cut. But I notice that most women don't have a great cut. They just have either their hair long and flopping and flat all over their head, or they will have a hairstyle that maybe have looked great leaving the salon, but they can't possibly do anything with it themselves, anything like what the hairdresser did. Or they look too done. You know, they, they, they've gone to the hairdresser uh, two or three or four times a week and had it styled and looked overly done and looked kind of aged, you know, because they look too forced and it doesn't give them a believable look or something that they feel sends the message that they are confident. It looks like they're trying very hard. So I very rarely do I stop on the street or turn my head around to notice a woman who owns the street, who, who's walking on the street with confidence. So coming from another point of view, I want to believe that everyone is beautiful without the perfect haircut, without the well, makeup. Well, that's a state of mind. I think that that's great. It's easy to say. I love the words and I would love that to be in a perfect world. But, you know, sometimes the way you look affects how you feel. And I've proven so many times by changing the way somebody looks drastically affects the way they feel and to a positive way, to a, to a way that they never experience. I've had women cry. I've had women get married. I've had women uh, get, get, go into a job interview and get the career job that they've been looking for ever and never really pinned it down just because they feel empowered because of the haircut. So it's easy to say, you know, oh, every woman should be beautiful and they should feel beautiful with what they have. Forget about the haircut, forget about makeup, forget about whether they're skinny, tall, short, fat, whatever. It doesn't matter. But that's the state of mind. And you know what? It's very easy to say. It's very easy to comment because I'm a confident person. But you talk to someone who's not confident and say, you're beautiful. And they look at you back and go like, yeah, but you're gorgeous, you're handsome. I'm not. I'm fat. I've got a round face. I've got this. I'm, I'm short. I don't know. I've got bad skin. Um, uh, I'm dark skinned. I haven't got fair skin like you. And, you know, all these things come back to me all the time. And I just think that, you know what, you know, it's easy for me to say when you look at someone else. But when you've grown up or been carrying baggage around with you for, for years, one person's comments not going to change your mind because you've got something stereotyped in your mind that you've been indoctrinated with. Like my mum, you know, said oh, years ago, said to me that, you know, you're, you're so handsome. And I, I'd never thought so ever, 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 because my brother was a model. My brother had all the girlfriends. My brother was handsome. He was taller. He was dark skinned. He had suntanned. He was very sort of sporty. I'm small. I'm short. I'm sort of like, like my French side of the family, which is shorter. My, my brother was like my, the Scottish side of my family, which were taller and more masculine. And I was sort of, and, and had a most beautiful chiseled face and that he worked for, for Versace and, and modeled in Milan. And, and I, I never had that chance. So I never felt good looking. Even when your mum told you? Yeah. You didn't believe no, her? No, no, no. 
Because all the world can tell you everything, but you can't fool, you can fool the world, but you can't fool yourself. You know, I mean, I could say, tell you all the things, oh, you've got beautiful skin and you've got beautiful, long, dark, shiny hair. And you're going to look at it and say, well, yeah, you know, so does every other Asian girl got beautiful, long, Asian, you know, sort of hair. And I'm a foreigner telling you that. So you won't really take it in. But if another Asian girl maybe tells you that, or girlfriends would comment on you, you might feel it. So it depends on whom, you know, who, who's, who, who's giving you the advice. So. It's interesting because coming in, I thought I was really afraid that it was a conversation about vanity. I think your gift and your approach is actually healing from outside in. I don't know that I've got the gift for this, but I've got enough experience on 40, nearly 50 years of working with Asian women. And trust me, it's been years and years and years of the West bombarding Asian women here in the East with images and products and services that were never designed for them in the first place. I realized that, you know, how do I feel if I was living in the West and every Vogue cover was an Asian woman? How would I feel? You know, after all, it's only now in this last year or two years that we're starting to get this sort of equality thing coming out and this whole Me Too thing and this whole thing about women, women's empowerment, uh, a, a whole generation of women that are uh, taking... in. Uh, rightful roles as a, an equal to what the men were, were carrying on before. It's only now that it's happening. However, you know, it's sort of today women are uh, really being given a lot more pressure than it was in my generation of to perform, to, to, to be so-called successful. There's a lot more stress put on women, even by what's happening today. I feel that if I was a woman, I'd be you know, so stressed out. I think it's every woman's right to be beautiful and to feel beautiful and to be noticed. And, you know, why why waste? I mean, you know, if you're going to have your hair done, I mean, you know, I'm not saying go cut your hair off. I mean, you can keep it long, but there's so many edgy things that you can do. An example, your hair, you know, there's so many things that you could do to change your look, to make you pop, to make you outstanding and don't cut the length at all just by changing the style. I mean, just by giving you a, a little bit more, uh, let, me, let me say, uh, current or fashionable or outstanding look, but you don't appear to look like uh, other girls on the street. And that's something that I think is priceless because then you become outstanding. You walk into a room and people will look at you because you don't look like all the other girls. And you've got to go and hunt that hairdresser down, interview that hairdresser. Um, don't just go in there blind. And, and sit down and let him do what he wants. You have to work visually. You have to have a conversation. Make sure that you, you, know, you ask enough questions about what he's going to do to the fact that you know, it's got to be cut that you can literally wash it and go. If it's got to be styled, it will never look that way again, trust me. And you've got to make sure that the hairstyle, when you see it, does that look like something that your hair would do without much effort? And if your hair's straight, the style should be straight. It can't have any curls or flips or anything done to it. If, that's a cur if your hair's naturally curly, then choose a natural, natural curly style. Or, or if you really insist on having it straightened, then have it chemically straightened, if that's your wish. I mean, it's about your feeling about what, what's beautiful to you. But I think that you need to really um, analyze um, yourself 
your hairdresser should be able to tell that what shape face you have and give you some recommendations and also visual recommendations, not just talking. Because a lot of hairdressers love to say, oh, your hair doesn't say anything. It needs more layers. It needs more movement. It's so this, it's so that and whatever. It's all these words and you're looking at him and you feel terrible. And, and then he says, I'll oh, leave it with me and you get shampooed and then he's cut your hair and then you, he's blow dried it and it look great, hopefully. And then you leave and you go home and shampoo it and it never looks the same again. End of story. And you go like, well, that was a waste of time, wasn't it? And then you're growing it out. And then you're going back and you try it again with another hairdresser. Maybe something happens great. Maybe it doesn't. But a lot of women give up. They said, oh, well, I've been to lots of hairdressers. And I always never happy. And so I never can handle what they do. And, and you know, it's, unfortunately, it's something what happens worldwide. It's not just here in Hong Kong. It's, it's all over the world. And I, I think that you just really got to hunt down somebody that's a better listener that will ask you more questions than, than, than telling you things. You know, find out about your habits, find out how often do you shampoo your hair, do you shampoo it in the morning, do you shampoo it at night, what do you do to it afterwards, how do you style your hair, what do you do to style your hair, how much time do you normally spend styling your hair, um, how often do you get your hair cut, um, do you, have you colored your hair before and what have you done before and did you like it and do you have any pictures of hairstyles that you like? I mean, this, I can give you 50 questions in a second that I ask a client every time um, I'm meeting them for the first time because I want to find out more about what they believe is beautiful and not just what I feel is beautiful because, you know, this old saying, if we don't, you don't look good, we don't look good, it, it's nothing to do with it. It's how you feel beautiful not how you look beautiful. You see, I, I've got probably half of my clients have hair styles that they love, but I would like them to be more edgy and more modern. But that's not how they are. They don't feel that's what suits them. They don't feel comfortable with hairstyles like that. They like their hair long and just loose and flowing, and that's what makes them happy at, at 60 years old, you know? I mean... You know, I'd love them to cut it short and edgy and modern. I would love to do that, but it just doesn't work for them. So, you know, it's not always about me. I don't always get to have exactly what I want. So I'm really curious about your creative process. Well, like I said to you earlier, I scan people when I look at them. And I find that 90% of women, if not nearly 100%, pretty much on the street, when I see them, don't have a hairstyle that's flattering to them. They don't, that's not the best frame for their face because the hair is part of your body and it's the frame for your face and you can change someone's face immensely by the shape of the hairstyle can you and give I us think, some examples oh well, give an example like carol i give you caroline example but no one knows who caroline is so i can speak about her but she had a side parting she had a long layered haircut that looked like most girls on the street you know long layers kind of bit of movement and she curled it a bit at the ends sometimes so i've seen her and she's got a slim face and she's at a certain age that she tends to look a little tired, okay? So I changed the parting away, took the parting out completely, cut, um, I would say, Bridget Bardo bangs on her, which are kind of longer on the corners, shorter in the middle, but sort of soft, so you don't get a square frontage, um, severe looking. It's kind of shagged out. And she just looks like sort of cross between Bridget Bardo, Claud Claudia Schiffer now, and I put... Um, because she was coloring her hair every two, three weeks because she's got a little, little gray hair coming in. And I said to her, well, you're dyeing your hair too dark and all the gray is showing up so quickly and you've got to color it every two minutes. Why don't you put a few lighter tones in your hair and then when the gray comes out, it won't show so much and you don't have to color it so often, like six to eight weeks maybe. And she said to me, I've been dying to do that, but my hairdresser was too scared. 
So we did the new color, we did the new haircut, and she's probably sent me 10 new clients in the last two weeks because everybody comments on her. And she says to me that she feels like beautiful. She says, I've never felt this way in my whole life. And I said, but it's a simple haircut. It's not that complicated. But she says, but why wouldn't my hairdressers do it? She says, I always end up with the same thing. And I said, well, story of my life. I mean, it's what pe people tell me all the time. You know, you've got to find somebody, hunt them down, somebody that will give you some advice, have confidence with them, and hopefully that you find the right person. You may have found that person. You may be going to the right hairdresser already. And it doesn't mean that you have to spend a lot of money. You can get it for $29.95 if you, person is the right person match for you. So just interview them. Instead of going in for a haircut for the first time, going for a blow dry, check the person out first, see what he says or she says, and, and sort of get some advice from them first and see, you know, what they would do. And then think about it. Then make your appointment for a haircut. If you believe that that person, you want to give them a chance. What's one of the biggest mistakes people make when they go to a hairdresser? When people bring pictures and show me and I'm thinking, but how are you going to achieve that if you don't set it and your hair's straight and how's it going to last and how, you, how much time are you going to do that? And if you don't set it, then what's it going to look like when it's not set? Mm, you know, I don't know if that's the best thing in my professional opinion for you, but I would recommend you do this type of haircut, which means that you could wash and go. And then if you want to set it sometimes and make it fluffy and volume, you can. And if you don't, it will look like this. That's hence why we cut hair dry at Kim Robinson. We don't, you know, cut hair wet because when the hair's wet, it looks completely different. We dry cut it in its natural texture, natural movement. And you can, we can then see without the blow dry, without any products, without anything, is there enough style in the cut? And that's one of the biggest problems hairdressers do is they do a basic sort of shape hairstyle and they blow the style with the setting and the curling and the, the products and they put all this stuff in your hair and it looks very pretty perhaps, you know, but difficult for you to arrange. A lot of women cover their grace. What is a smart way to do it? Is there a more effective way to approach that? Or do you have any insight on women who actually embrace the grace? Well, I think depending on your age, depending on how you, uh, how long your hair is. I, I, personally, for me, gray hair is beautiful, but you have to have enough of it. It's when it's starting to come in and you're neither here nor there, it can make you look faded and tired. But then having that white line growing out after four weeks dates you, makes you look much older than you could be if you had some lighter tones, like I was saying earlier, in your hair or, or, or coloring your hair not so black. And I'm not saying because, you know, I want to make every Asian woman blonde, but I've got plenty of models that come to me that are going gray. And instead of dyeing their hair back brown or whatever color they originally were, we color it in a lighter tone. So the gray blends in. It doesn't, we don't dye the gray hair dark and it just sort of softens the whole look. And then they're probably going every couple of months to have their hair colored and it doesn't look like a, a big line between the contrast between black and white growing out. And we do that a lot now. It's an individual personal thing. It's not, there's not one size fits all. 
I don't like to have a, me a method that every woman fits into. I think it depends on the individual. If you've got a few white hairs, you can color it over with what we call a conditioning color. It just fades away. It's not a permanent color. It just doesn't dye your hair. It just stains the white hair. That's great when you have early signs of gray coming in. That's easy to do. It's like a washout color. Then as you get more gray coming in, you can start putting in um, darker streaks through your hair. Like your natural color, but just so, you leave, so you're taking some of the white hair away. Then next step, if perhaps you're getting more and more gray coming in, you can make a feature of it by don't coloring the gray at all and putting some light streaks in your hair. So you've got sort of light bits and dark bits and bits of gray coming in and all blending in together. I just think that when you get to a certain time in your life, you don't want to fight it. You want to go with the flow, you know? Like, okay, I'm a big girl. I'm not a skinny girl. So I've tried all the diets. I'm not a diet person. I guess I'm like this. So let me... You know, you've got to just embrace find it. <laughs> yourself. And I think that that's something that comes with experience, comes with uh, age. Uh, when you're young, you're trying out lots of fads with hair or perhaps with clothes, whatever. You get to a certain time in your life and you think that that's not me. You know, I, I don't like those sort of clothes or those kind of hairstyles or that kind of makeup or or being with those sort of people. I want to be with these kind of people. And you edit and you don't end up trying to please everybody and changing yourself to fit in with them. You just want to be people that you don't have to change and you can be yourself. And I can be overweight if I want to feel and be happy. I've got lots of friends that are overweight and they're very happy and laugh themselves off and joke about it and say, yeah, I'm too bad, I'm too bad. I should be on a diet or whatever, but they couldn't care less. I'd love to have all the experience I have now at my age and be younger. I grew up with all kinds of inferiority complexes against my brother because he was so good looking. What would you have told your younger self? What would I have told my younger self? Oh, shut up and get on with it, you know? I, I tell you, I, I don't know. You get all this advice. I mean, for my mum, for an example, you're really, really, really handsome. You're in your own way, you're, oh, don't be ridiculous. I haven't got a suntan. Don't be ridiculous. I'm not six foot tall. Don't be ridiculous. You don't know how I feel. You I mean, I... You know what? I can go on and every kid says the same thing. You don't know how I feel. You don't know what I have to go through. You know, it's just dreadful. The other girls in the class have got beautiful long hair and you want to cut my hair short because my hair's so thin. I hate you, you know. And I mean, I can remember my sister screaming at my mum years ago, cutting her hair because, you know, at school it was neat and tidy, easier to control than long hair. But all the other girls had long hair. That's part of our life story. You know, nothing is going to be perfect and... We just have to deal with it ourselves in our own way and to do the best you can. But, you know, I, I still believe in um, if I knew how to wear my hair better when I was younger, I look at my old pictures and go, what the hell was I thinking? But I didn't have anyone to help me. You know, if I knew that I was going to be this sort of surfy, cool blonde I would have done that years ago, but you know, this is me going gray now and I've just embraced the gray and turned it into this blondie thing. And I, you know, I believe that it's sort of, I don't look like at my age because of, of the way that I, you know, I wear my hair and the, the way that I, you know, I don't look like an older guy that's gone gray, but that's because I know all the secrets. I know how to do it to look believable. You know, if you look believable, I think that you can pull anything off. It's when you start looking like you're trying too hard. And then I think that, you know, like you're wearing clothes a little bit too short, a dress that's maybe a little too tight, uh, maybe dyeing your hair a little too dark when you've gone gray. You, who are you fooling, you know? 
How did you go from being a hairdresser to taking the leap to running a successful business? That was a challenge that I failed at the first time around. I think that people, a lot of people make mistakes when they start off doing something, be successful at it, and suddenly turn into, they want to turn whatever that is into a business. And that's a whole different mindset, different set of skills. And I still say today that I should have had a partner or partners that could take me and be more important in the world. I think the reason uh, that I haven't been as successful as that I think I should be is because I'm running the business. I don't have the skills or the expertise um, or the knowledge or even the natural skills to be a businessman. Businessman and artist are two different things. My second time around um, is much smaller and more uh, precise and I, I'm less uh, encouraged to be so, um, what's the word, entrepreneurial to, to expand the business because I simply, every time I do that, I'd stick myself a hole and fall in. It's, you know, what do you think is the blind spot as an artist? I think that you know, we uh, don't, we put all our eggs in one basket. We feel that we get, we get excited and turned on about the emotion of it and not necessarily about practi- practical, you know. I mean, seriously, you know, if you haven't got money in the bank, why are you spending money that you don't have? I mean, why are you painting the salon walls? Why are you um, doing photography campaigns with these people that, you know, models and photographers that they, for what? For ego? I mean, you know, it's all to do where you get caught up in the, when you're younger especially, caught up in the, the, the emotion of it, not necessarily the practical side of it. And I think that, you know, when you have studied business, one and one equals two. It doesn't equal ten. I mean, you know, I, I was terribly successful at a very young age and then I couldn't find a salon that was glamorous enough so I decided to open my own salon because I didn't want it to be like a kitchen. I wanted it to be more, more glamorous, more dramatic and like the salons were in Paris. So I came back to Hong Kong and opened here. Fortunately, I was successful but then I got to be, you know, in six countries and going for a public listing and what do I know about finances and public listing? Well, what happened? The Asian crisis came and I skyrocketed to the ground. Then, you know, I managed because I'm lucky because I know I'm talented and I, I managed to build it back again. But, you know, how, what, what, what was I doing? Going for a public listing with the help of a few people that I trusted, I ended up sinking like the Titanic. Was it your idea to go public or someone kind no, of... No, someone else's idea. They said, well, you shouldn't be like this. You shouldn't be using your money. You should be using other people's money. You've got to list the company and you take all that money and you invest it and you can be global and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, of course, you know, it sounds good, doesn't it? Everyone loves pretty pictures. I mean, you know, and I got talked into it and, you know, unfortunately failed. But, you know, it's all part of the fabric of life. I have no regrets. I'm, I'm very lucky to be where I am, actually, so... And I know that recently you had a health scare. Can you share that story? Because I'm sure that also well, shaped you know, your life now. I, I'm sure there's plenty of people listening that have had issues with either family, people they know, or friends, or, or themselves. You know, you go sailing through life like a chicken without a head, running around crazy, busy, 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 and one day something happens and your whole life spins on a dime, and that's what happened with me. I mean, I was uh, working in the salon one morning, and I felt sort of strange. I sort of walked to the right, and my body didn't follow with me. It was like, wow, I feel weird. 
and within seconds I sort of had this blurry vision going on. I couldn't see anything and I, had to, I sat down in the first available seat that was nearby and said, you know, please call my doctor, I can't see. And then within hours I was having open heart surgery, you know, I, and it wasn't my heart, it was um, the aortic valve was um, splitting. They call it dissecting. And that's the big valve that comes from the heart to the brain. And normally 60% of people die. And I was one of the fortunate ones that they got me in time without any brain damage. That's what I'm aware of. I could have had brain damage. <laughs> anyway, and I, I, I managed to get saved. I was blessed. And anyway, four operations later in America, having all the, the pipes changed to, to plastic pipes. So they, they believe I'm going to live like Bionic Man forever. But you know what? It's changed my life. I, I look at things now in a more appreciative way. I'm more tolerant. I'm much more forgiving when, you know, I'm much, much different. I know for a fact that I am because I, was, I wouldn't have um, tolerated so many things before. And I believe that, you know, the time that I do have left, I don't want to waste it doing things with people that I don't appreciate or people that don't appreciate what I do. And, or, you know, I, I really want to have more fun in, in the fact that I had fun before, but I want to be able to um, do things. I, I'm, not, I'm not so worried about my legacy, but I, I really want to make sure that I don't waste any time. I, so one thing that I really have learned from this experience is that we don't get it back, you know, and you can't take anything with you. When I was in the hospital bed, tied up to all the tubes or plugged into me, I was thinking of all the things that I was trying to do and worried about and silly things. And I had no idea that this would ever happen to me at this age. I thought I would be living forever. I thought I had time to do everything. And honestly, nobody knows. And it sounds morbid to say that, but I mean, I'm thinking, God, it could have been over in a, in a, heart, in a heartbeat and, and I would have, couldn't take anything, nothing, all the things I was trying to achieve. Ah, silly fool. But you, know, you didn't know. I mean, no one gave you any warnings to these things. And like everyone, anyone listening out there can, can speak probably better than me about their experience and what they've learned from, from a near-death experience. That, you know, what, do you, what did you learn and what do you feel? And, you know, you just appreciate the simplest things. You, you see kids on the street and you, you just, I would walk by them and not even notice them, you know. Or I see someone on the street begging now. I swear I can't walk by them without giving them a dollar. I can't. I don't care whether they're in a syndicate or what. I, before, I wouldn't have had time. But now I feel like I've, there's more people out there that need help because they're worse off than I am. And I'm the luckiest person, you know. Indeed, that's yeah. a really great perspective. I'm lucky, yeah, I think so, yeah. How has your priorities changed and what specific actions are you doing differently? Spending more time on what's important. I'm doing a lot more ch charity things I'm involved with. Um, um, not that I want to talk about them too much today, but, you know, some, a lot of things that I perhaps didn't feel were so important before have become more important now because something I can make a difference, you know, whether I'm cutting another four or five women's hair 
more a day. Does that make me happier or anything better? Not at all. So I've cut back my time in the salon. I'm, I'm only doing select clients. Um, I spend a lot more time training with the staff now, which I didn't have as much time before. Um, I'm interested in painting, which I didn't do as much before. And now I'm probably a third of my time a week now I'm spending in the gallery now painting, which is really making me feel relaxed and uh, another type of uh, artistic interpretation that is similar to what I was doing before. But this time I don't have to listen to anyone's needs or wants and I can do exactly what I want when I'm painting on canvas and that I love. Tell me more about the painting. I've seen your work. It's so beautiful. Well, and you've gone through such a change as well. I, I remember seeing some of your black and white pieces. Well, I think uh, the new collection I'm working on now is, is, is all abstraction of flowers, basically. Um, faded roses, uh, wildflowers, um, Australian desert flowers, which probably mean nothing to you. But, but, you know, sort of they're very sort of earthy and lived in looking. You know, I, I don't I do like abstraction because I believe it's, it takes you on a journey when you look at it. It doesn't look too believable. But at the same time, you know, I've, I'm evolving as an artist and I, I'm, I'm changing. So when I first started painting these flowers, they were different from some of the latest groups I've been doing. Um, the first work, like you said, in black and white, probably because I enjoyed the black and white genre you know in my home because my home is probably gray and and quite masculine in in color wise it's quite quite minimal but um now um i'm finding i'm getting more happiness out of mixing up unusual color you know tones not even about the matching it's all about the mixing and doing unusual mixes that don't look particularly natural or almost it's quite strange and i find that that's inspiring for me because Doing something new for the first time is something that, that's also interesting for me. I don't like to be repetitive too much. What's your calling in your artwork? I don't know if I have a calling. I'm doing it just to, to I'm not doing it for commercial reasons. I'm doing it because I enjoy doing it. And, and if someone likes it, great. And if, you know, a lot of people give comments, trust me, a lot of criticism, you know, about, oh, you should do this and you should do that. And, you, you know, why don't you do this and why don't you go and do that? And I'm like, well, yeah, but that's not me. It's not my style. It's not how I feel at the time. And it's, it's part of my feeling, my, my body um, coming out on the canvas. It comes through. I can feel it coming through. And sometimes I don't even know how I painted it. I'm standing two inches away from the canvas. And when I stand back and look like what Caroline has, and it's quite, it's quite empowering in the room. It actually lifts the whole room up, but didn't intend that when I was painting it. I was just painting a group of flowers, of wild wildflowers. They're from, you know, the daisies from the desert, you know. And she loved it, and, you know, that's why she, she, she took it. But I don't, I'm glad that you liked it. it was... Yeah, when we were all sitting around, all the women were just really admiring the piece it had wonderful energy really truly truly oh you guys are biased it was oh, really okay. so special i'll invite you back again <laughs> well you trained as an artist no so you're self-taught no 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 no, no. i never did art at school but i um i i like the use of color because i use color in my work you know with with coloring hair but i like to use color a lot because i think you can change you know a woman's perspective from her skin tone um, with softening her look sometimes. A lot of women, you know, perhaps 
you know, when they, they look softer, they look prettier to me. If they look strong, that's not a look that I personally like. And I don't know whether every woman can pull it off to have a very strong, hard look. And I think that that's something that is important to me, that, that she looks pretty and looks uh, soft. I find that endearing to me as an artist working with women. When I'm painting, you know, I don't have a, a set idea in mind, but I don't like sort of aggression at all. I like things to, to take me on a journey and give me, give me happiness. And, and the fact that someone else may like it, that's great. And if, if they don't, then, then it's not meant to be because there's a lot of artists out there that, you know, paint aggressive things, you know, yeah. sharp angles and clean lines and things. And, you know, that may give someone pleasure and to have it clean and neat. But I like the abstraction. I like things that look lived in. I like an old pair of jeans. I like an aging face more than looking at somebody with perfection. I love, you know, a crooked nose or a turned up lip or, you know, smaller eye or, uh, you know, a little cute smile. You know, I, I find things like that interesting to me than, you know, than, than what's, what's perfection anyway. I mean, you know, people say, oh, you're a perfectionist, but that's the state of mind. I mean, you know, what's, what is perfection? It's what works for the, the eye of the beholder, isn't it? I mean, I, some of my friends looking at these Korean pop stars and think, oh, so good looking, so handsome, and I'm looking and I'm thinking he looks like a girl. You know, it's not the kind of how my idea of how I like to see myself, you know. But then I am 65, so there's a difference. <laughs> Going back to your health, what kind of routines have you now put in place to make sure you stay healthy? Would you believe? Nothing. Really? I, no, I, I eat what I want. I do what I want. I'm, I've read all, all the tips and things and eat the carrots, cook the carrots, don't eat carrots. I mean, it's all to do with how you want to go. I'm pretty much a, I'm more of a keto diet person. If you, that's what I like because I like to eat that kind of food. But, you know, I like bread also, and that's not in the keto diet. I love bread, but it's made me fat, you know. I mean, I put on weight because of all the starch and the thing, but, I, you know, I'm not going to cut it out. I love it. You know, I don't want to take the rest, the, the time that I have left, I want to enjoy every moment, including the box of Seas Candies. <laughs> what has been the best advice that you've been given? Happiness is a state of mind. Wanting what you have and not having what you want is the same person who said this to me. And I've kept it, I learned this, had, was told this in an ashram years ago, um, on, on a spiritual journey. And I think that everything is about balance and about perception. You know, I can look at you and think that you look gorgeous because you're young and you're pretty and you've got beautiful, long, straight, dark hair, shiny. Or so, another hairdresser look at you and go, oh, you've got no style. You got, there's nothing happening with your hair. It's like, it's just so blah. It's just like sitting there and not moving. Uh, you know, it's so subjective. And you can look at it and go, I love my long, straight hair, you know doesn't change your hair at all it's just the perception right it's like you know it's why we were saying earlier about you know well wouldn't it be great just to be to love yourself and be confident and have empowerment just the way you are without having the great haircut wouldn't that be great it's easy yes, to say i want that <laughs> well yes i think that's a lot of it's to do with growing up i'm going back to 
what you asked me originally, which I probably didn't touch on. I think it depends on how you are handled from your parents growing up. My parents were from the West, obviously, and, you know, there wasn't any prejudice about anything. You know, we weren't racist. We weren't, uh, there was nothing to do with, you know, you had to do your best. And if you didn't win, that was okay. It was okay not to win. But I've got friends who've got parents who push their kids so hard because they have to be the best. They have to get the gold medal. They have to be number one in the class. They have to get the scholarship. They have to get, and if they don't, they're like terribly upset and, it, and the kids are so stressed and, and they're made to do so many things. I didn't have that growing up. I had a very balanced upbringing, which I believe has helped me, except having a very attractive model six foot two brother with olive skin that went tanned in the sun with surfy blonde hair and had and with all the girlfriends that screwed up my parents right that that made their whole thing me growing up with them a disaster it made you a nightmare to race of course you know i mean why wasn't i like him because i was the first one what, you practice on me first and then you, you got it right and then you made him. That's what I told them. Oh, what an awful thing to say to your parents, right? How about you? I've been talking nonstop. You haven't said a word. Well, this is the whole thing. I want to learn about you. I'm so curious about your story because mm. I truly believe in our collective wisdom. We are not here as individuals. We're not disconnected. We are all connected. Yes, and I agree. it is so important to understand each other's stories and learn from it and support each other. This is why we're sitting here. You know, someone is going to learn from something that you've said. You are going to encourage someone to look at, at themselves in the mirror and know that they're beautiful. And maybe they might go for a nice haircut. Well, you know what? If you're going back to the haircut, invest in the haircut. Don't invest in the blow dry. Invest in the cut. Don't invest in the color and the perm and all the other extras. And then you can go less often because the cut will grow out well. That you've got a better haircut that works for you. The cut's got to work for you, not you work for the haircut, okay? And a lot of people just don't get it and they end up with something they can't handle and therefore it's not what I'm saying. So I think that at the end of the day, you know, you really have to do your homework. And if you haven't found that magic haircut, go hunt someone else down. Go and book in for a blow dry or book into that salon and get a consultation. You can go and have a consult without anything done with a hairdresser. Say, I want to have a consultation. I want to have a chat with a hairdresser about what something I want to do. I don't want to make an appointment yet because I'm not sure what I want. And go in with some pictures, visual things, and ask the hairdresser how, what kind of haircut how long, how often do I have to cut this haircut? What do I need to do to style it at home? Is there any styling at all? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what, will it suit my face? And why do you think it'll suit my face? Or why won't it suit my face? And see what the hairdresser reacts and how he is good at communicating with you. And if he is able to do that, then give him a chance. But if he's not, if he doesn't tick all the boxes, then he's not right for you or she's not right for you. Go find somebody else. I had no idea you can just go for a consult Why not? without booking in. I don't know. I just always thought you just had to book and get something done. No. But, well, maybe you think that. Maybe it's what the hairdressers think too. Then don't. 
Just go in and say, look, I'd like to talk to one of your leading stylists or sit in the salon for a while and if you are going for a blow dry, have a look around at the kind of styles the salon does. It normally happens like this. You sit and see a certain kind of thing happening. You know, like, this, okay, green hair on the, on the stylist, green hair on the client, blue hair on the woman sitting next to you. You figure out, well, I'm not, if I want colorful hair, I'm in the right salon or not. Okay, you can kind of get the idea, right? If they look like something that works for you, are they the kind, are they dressing like you dress? Are they looking like you kind of look? Do the clients that come here look like you? Or they, does it sort of feel like you're in the right place? You can do a lot of anal analysis just by being there for five minutes. Shifting gears a little bit, yeah. what is the book that you have gifted the most or made a big impact on you? Oh, there's a book, I think it was called The Power of Positive Thinking. That was important. Um, in Search of Excellence, it's Tom Peters. I read it many years ago. Um, it was all about the Fortune 500 companies and how they have their principle-centered leadership. It's, it helped me a lot with, with my business and it helped me a lot with my attitude towards clients that I can't be everything for everybody. Either people are going to like me or they're not going to like me. So I've got to be true to myself. So therefore, if I don't think that this haircut's going to work for you, I shouldn't just do it to please you. I should tell you I don't think it's going to work for you and that maybe I'm not the right hairdresser for you because if you really want your hair dyed pink on the ends and, and you want green stripes at the roots, this is not something that I'm good at doing and I think that there's other salons that could do it better, that you should go there and not, and not do it and try to please the client and, and screw it up. As an artist yeah. and a successful business person, what is the worst voice in your head and what is the best voice? The worst voice in my head is that I knew it, but I did it anyway. All the mistakes I've done is because I went against what I felt and the client talked me into doing it. You know, my hair can take it, you know, but I think it's going to, your hair's really dry and you shouldn't color it. Yeah, my hair can take it. My hair's always, I've been doing, coloring my hair for years. I know my hair can take it. And I done their hair color and their hair couldn't take it. And their hair was so freaking fried. I did it once and I'll never do it again. So I don't listen anymore, anymore. I know from my gut instinct that, you know, black is black and white is white. And, you know, that's the truth is what I feel. And that's what I learned from Tom Peter's book in search of excellence about that. You know, you've really got to be true to yourself. You know, you, you, I can't be everything for everybody. You know, my, my style is this, my look is this. I've got to be true to it. That's what people want. They come to see me. They want what I do best. They don't want what someone else does. Otherwise, why will they come to you? you know? And what's the best voice in your head? The best voice in my head is I am right. I know for sure. That's experience that's taken me 50 years to get here. It wasn't, didn't come overnight and I couldn't have said that 40, 45 years ago. I wouldn't, I wouldn't. I'd say, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not sure. Now I know for sure that I'm, a, I'm one of the best hairdressers in the world. I command the best price and I have the best clients who get stopped on the street all the time, all over the world and asked who does their hair. And to them, it's priceless. Apart from the hair, yeah. in closing, what is something that you want to share with our audience that can help them live a higher quality and more fulfilling life? I think that 
to achieve the best you can be by being honest with yourself. We are what we are. And if there's something I can do about it, then do it. If there's nothing I can do about it, then accept it. Because you can fool the world, but you can't fool yourself. And I think that, that you know, look, maybe I can't um, afford a handbag at, in uh, Hermes, okay, because I don't have $80,000 to put on a handbag. Or I have $80,000, but I don't feel that is something that I want to spend on because it's not a desire for me. I think I'd rather spend it on a, a, f a family in Africa to feed them. I would feel much happier, for an example. So I think you have to sort of make decisions and live by those decisions and, and move on with your life. Be around people that are positive with yourself, that add value to you. I mean, if these people are not adding value to your life, then be honest with yourself and say, they're not for me and, and edit. Be around things that make you happy. Be, you know, wear things that you feel happiness with. If your hair, if you don't feel pretty looking in the mirror, then I think you should go and get a great haircut. Go find, go, go be pretty. You should be. And it may not be the haircut, but I'm using hair because it's the frame of your face. Because you look in the mirror, you're not looking at your, you don't look at your body normally. You look at your face and you go, huh? And then, he, you know, when you go try and dress in a, in, a, in a changing room, if you look in the mirror and you look tired, you hate that dress because you don't like the way you look. And you look at your face first. And don't we all look at someone? Do you look at the body of the girl first and the legs and the shoes and the handbag she's wearing? Not normally. I look at her face first, which is silly. It sounds very pretentious, me saying these things. But I just think that empowerment and feeling confident and beauty th through what you have and what can you do about it to make yourself feel great. Not because you want other people to approve it, but you feel great. That's like I said about the haircut, you've got to feel beautiful, not just because I think you look beautiful, but you've got to feel it. And you know, that's priceless. I think this conversation has touched on a really interesting point because it might appear to be superficial, but to be seen is so important. And the haircut is what we're using as an example. I'm in this industry, so, you know, it might make sound hard sell, but, you know, I have used this um, medium to get my message across, and it's been so successful for me, incredibly successful. I ended up doing Princess Diana because of it, Audrey Hepburn, uh, Catherine Deneuve. I mean, I've worked with all the, the great actresses in Europe and, and in America, Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, um, I've done a lot of because I'm confident, because I have a strong point of view. And they, people can tell when you're confident and you're doing, you know what you're doing. You know, I have a thirst, I have a hunger for, for making somebody feel beautiful through dialogue, through my technique and through, you know, my passion, you know. People feel it, you know, when you're with someone that knows, that likes what they're doing and are good at it. Where does and, that passion come from though? Oh, well, I love what I do. I mean, you know, I, I chose a profession 45, more than that actually, nearly 50 years ago that I still love to do today. I'm so fortunate. Well, thank you so much, Kim, for coming here today for this conversation. Was there anything that I missed that you would like to I share? I don't know. I haven't stopped, stopped talking the last, how much time? I think, I think I've, uh, I've done the Rolodex, I think, just about, just about. But it's a pleasure speaking with you. And um, sure, if anybody needs any help, 
um, they should get get in touch with you and, and put them in my direction and I can at least steer them in the right direction if they need any help. Brilliant. Thanks again, Kim. All right. Bye-bye. Thank bye. you. The show notes of this episode are on my website, www.interested.blog. And if you enjoy this podcast, share it with a friend. <laughs>